Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today, I'm joined by my very good friend, Wendy Whiskalage. Hello, Wendy. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Wendy? Good. I'm great, thank you. And I'm so pleased to get you in because I've been trying to get you into the studio here for months, it seems like, because I know you've got so much great stuff and so many people will want to hear what you have to say about HMOs, business and all the other good stuff that you have in your head. So let's see if we can get it out, Wendy. <laughs> so Wendy, who are you and, and what are you? Well, I've got a mixed background, like many people in property. You end up in property after a bit of a convoluted journey. So my background is actually education. Um, I used to lecture at a local university and my specialist subject was early years development. So I'm fascinated in how young children learn. And I think my fascination with learning and, and uh, particularly how young children learn has really fueled my passion for education and training now. Okay, so you haven't always been in property. No. And actually, I didn't know that you were a lecturer. So there we are, I've learned something new already. So how, how did you transition? What made you go from education into property? Because you're now full-time in property? Well, I say I'm part-time in property because oh, okay. I like to have some time to do other things as well with of my course. life. Yes. I started about 20 years ago, so I have been in property for a long time, mm. yes. It's true, I know what you're thinking. She must have started when she was five years old. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, not really. So uh, we inherited a small pot of money from a relative and uh, in discussion with the family, decided that it would be a good idea to, to invest this into a property because I had two small boys at the time, my, my two oldest sons. And I didn't want to just spend the money on a car or a holiday and, and, and waste the money. So we bought our very first rental property and as it happened, it happened to be a student multilet. Now, this was the days before HMOs were even invented. Mm. You couldn't even get a buy-to-let mortgage. This was 1996, and mm. buy-to-let mortgages hadn't even been invented. Mm. So I had to write a business plan to the bank to get a bank loan to buy mm. that first property. Mm. And that was really how I started. But it was very, very much in the background. And I admit I was a tortoise, not a hare. And it meant that we did it the traditional way of saving up for a deposit, buying another rental property and going again. But of course, that takes years to build up a portfolio. Right. So you obviously got the taste with that first property. And I know that you're up in the northwest now. Was the property up in the northwest? Yes, it was about a mile away from our, uh, our house, our family home. Okay. And was it already set up as a, a student It was. House? I bought it literally lock, stock and barrel. With the students in place? With the students in place yeah. and their row of vodka bottles along the top <laughs> shelf of the kitchen. Excellent. So that was your first one and it was a convenient way of parking an in inheritance. But at that time you were still lecturing. Presumably. No, at that time I was at home. I was a, I was a full-time mum. Okay. So for me, the income I received from the, the property was a useful extra source of income. Right. But no, I was literally a full-time mum, involved in the local playgroup, involved in the local preschool. Mm. And that's, of course, how I got started in my passion for early years. Ah, okay, right. So that property is now up and running. The, the, the students are paying you their rent. And you're thinking, this is actually quite a good way of making easy income. You got the taste for more, but you did it the old-fashioned way by saving up. So then what happened over well, the next few years? How, how did it develop? 
So we, we were fortunate that at that time, after buy to let mortgages were introduced, which wasn't long after that, at that period of time, we saw quite an increase in the value of that particular property. So we were able to refinance it. We drew quite a lot of money out. And I then started to educate myself about property auctions. And I have to say, my mum was very influential with me here. She and my dad didn't invest in property, but they could see what we had done was very exciting. And she, because she had some time, she was retired, she could go and find out information. And she used to register for all sorts of uh, web sheets and newsletters and of course this is really before internet marketing came mm, along mm. so all of these were mail shots that she used to get through the post and she would give them to me and say Wendy mm. you must read this you must read this mm. and I started to get quite interested in property auctions because of the the, the value that you could um, buy a property for mm. so I went along to my very first property auction uh, in the no in the northwest I actually uh, went to a few across the country to learn mm. how they worked mm. and with this very small pot of money that I had from the refinance, I managed to buy two properties. Wow. Well, that's a really brave step, isn't it? I mean, just going off to, as a tangent, did you subscribe to Property Auction News? Yes. Did you? <laughs> then you would probably have seen my stuff. Probably. Because I, I used to write have. for that. There we go. Oh, small world. amazing. Yeah. Right. Buying properties at auction as a relative newbie is quite risky, I would suggest. Although Homes Under the Hammer and property programs have made it more popular nowadays, you were sort of really breaking the mould there, weren't you? I remember walking in to, it was either a Clive Emson auction or maybe, uh, I can't remember, one of the other Northwest auctioneers, and the room was full of men, mm. all over the age of 40, mm. and three quarters of whom were not white British. Yeah. Not that I've got an issue with that, mm. but I was very out of place. Mm. I was a, a, a woman in her 20s, mm. um, really very naive, very uneducated, uh, with, a, with a small pot of money. Mm. And I, when I bid for the properties, uh, my hand was shaking as mm. I raised my catalogue in the air. Mm. And I think all the other guys in the room kind of looked at me like, who's she? Mm. <laughs> What's she doing? Mm. Uh, but I managed to buy two fantastic properties. Right. And I know you well enough to know that you're very methodical. So I'm assuming that you did all the proper due diligence and you knew exactly what you were buying and why you were buying it. Oh dear, Peter, you don't know me that well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've become more methodical the okay. more mistakes I've made. Right. Well, I was young. I was young and impetuous at that stage. <laughs> and I just saw these properties in the catalogue and thought, they look like good deals. I went to view one of them and it was one of the floors was a little bit wobbly, but I thought a builder can put that right. And I didn't even view the second one. Oh, no. <laughs> so, no, I wasn't methodical at all. Right. OK. Yeah. I mean, nowadays you would presumably view, view everything you buy. I'm and I would assuming. download the auction pack and I would read You'd it back it to properly. front and I would do it properly. Yes. Yeah, hey, that was the Wild West days, wasn't it? When property <laughs> yes. investing was just bite it out and just been started. Exactly. People can't remember a time before Google and Amazon. There we, we go. We can. We can. Yeah. We had life then, but it wasn't much <laughs> of a life. Yeah. So you survived that. You bought the two properties at auction. Yes. What then? Well, we, we did them, both of them needed a refurb and, uh, and we made some good money out of that. However, at that stage, my first marriage was breaking down. Mm. And so we, uh, we, I had to pause on my property investing journey because um, my husband and I split up. Uh, it was very complicated. Uh, it, was, it was 
difficult, you know, going through a divorce is a very difficult and painful time. And it wouldn't have been right to buy more assets just when we were splitting up the assets we had. Mm. So we did a 50-50, you know, another joint venture in a different way. And really had to spend some years, I suppose, settling down and working out who owned what and who was going to take charge of what. Mm. So again, that was a bit of a hiatus for me. And it mm. probably took me about another two years before I really felt confident again to start investing in property. Mm. Now by that stage I was working full time so I had gone back to work, um, my boys were now all of them were at school and life had settled down a little bit and I think I began to revisit the thoughts I'd had previously. I still had my, my first rental property, I, I'd managed to salvage that as part of my settlement in the, in the divorce and I wanted then to start expanding again. I wanted to start buying properties. My initial thrust has always been to buy them for the boys. Mm. I wanted them to inherit something because having been at home as a, as a mum, I hadn't got a lot. I hadn't earned a lot of money. I didn't have, I didn't come from a wealthy background. Anything that they were going to inherit, I knew I had to produce. So I really started to become more focused. And at that stage, I made another big mistake. Uh, I've made all of the mistakes in the book, but I bought off plan. Mm. And this property looked really good. The deposit was very low. We could get a buy-to-let mortgage. It was a three-bed semi. And of course, I was sold like everybody, every other buyer is sold on the idea of a new kitchen, new flooring, mm. brand new property. Mm. And I thought this will rent out really well. And we'll have another rental property. Mm. So that's what I did. I bought a brand new off-plan property, which took about eight months to complete. And have you still got it? No. We ended up selling that one a few years ago. Mm. We, it did the typical pattern, and I think Mark Homer talks about this, that in, you, you don't want to buy off-plan because typically for the first two years, the property does not go up in value. Mm. It typically tends to level off mm. and then it might start to go up in value, but it takes time. Mm. And in fact, very often you even have a dip before it goes up. Because there's a premium built into the sale price. Even, Absolutely. Even if you get it at a discount. Absolutely. Because the discount's built into the sale price. And these are the things that if you're not educated, you don't know. Yeah. And I didn't know this plateau effect would happen. Right. However, we did rent it out and we had it for probably about seven years. Mm. But when you start to become a more assiduous investor, you start to really analyse your deals, your mm. properties, mm. and whether they're making money. And as I've become more confident as an investor, I've looked at our portfolio and we regularly assess the portfolio to see how it's performing. Mm. And I think if you've got a lemon in your portfolio, you've got to decide what you do with it. Mm. And we realised by looking at the money that was tied up in that property, we couldn't refinance because it hadn't gone up enough in value. We couldn't draw out any more money. We couldn't increase the rental because it wouldn't have been sustained by the market. So could we use the deposit that was sitting in that property in a more clever way mm. in another property. Mm. And we realised that by investing in HMOs, we could. So in the end, we, we sold that property probably three and a half, four years ago and used the money to invest in an HMO. And it's been, it's probably given us tenfold the return. Right, well, that's interesting, we'll come back to that. I love the idea of that, by the way, because there's a big difference between being passive and being non-strategic. Mm. And just because you want to be a little bit passive doesn't mean you shouldn't be thinking about what you've got and how to maximise it. Great tip. So one of the reasons why I'd love doing this podcast is guests like yourself, I think, blow the myth that property investing 
it just falls into your lap. It's one of those things I always say that the principles are simple, but doing it isn't necessarily easy. And one of the reasons why, without one to sound gloomy, I'm actually trying to sound the opposite, and I'm not sure whether I'm expressing it properly. <laughs> but the reason why I love interviewing guests like yourself is not because I like hearing about your problems per se, because nobody likes to hear about other people's problems because it's sad, but it gives hope for everybody who might be out there struggling a little bit, who's thinking, I want to get into property, but actually it's not going as easily as I'd hope it would, because you're a great example of somebody who's been through the bumps, but you were persistent, you kept going, and now you're doing incredibly well. So you had this period where you're buying properties, then sadly you're separating from your husband, then you buy the wrong thing. For a lot of people that could be terminal, but somehow or other you're sat there in front of me now as the HMO expert. <laughs> so what happened in between, Wendy? Well, I suppose I had a moment when I, I realised I was working full time, uh, I had three children, uh, I'd very, been very, very fortunate in meeting another man who I'm married to now, Andy, who is um, you know, my soulmate and my, my life partner, I'm very happy. And life was becoming more settled and becoming a little bit easier. But I knew deep down within me there was more that I had to give. Mm. There was more that I had to express. There, there was more within me. There was a yearning within me to be more. And I, one, one day, I, I was, uh, I, I can remember the moment actually. I was lying in bed one moment, one morning. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. and feeling frustrated, frustrated that I didn't know which path my life was going to take. Mm. I was committed to my early years career. I'd, I'd actually finished a master's degree in early years, worked really hard to get that. And I was really pleased with what, I, what the way that my, my formal career was going. However, I knew there was more, there was more of an entrepreneurial skill within me that wasn't being expressed. And a little card came through the door one day and it advertised a new event. And it was a Rich Dad event. Mm. And I thought, who is this Rich Dad? I've never heard of him. Mm. And on the bottom of the card, it said, in the very small print, Robert Kiyosaki will not be personally attending. Mm. And I thought, well, I've never heard of him. Who is this Robert Kiyosaki? So I Googled him and found out about Robert Kiyosaki. And I ordered the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I read it in about two days flat. And literally, it wasn't just a light bulb going on in my head. It was like a thunderbolt going off in my head. Mm. And I thought, investing that is the answer that is the direction that my life needs to go in now mm. and 
because I had by then, I think we had about five or six single let properties, I knew that the reason we were going too slowly was because A, we weren't using the right techniques, the right strategies to invest, to get our money out and recycle the cash and go again. Because you're still trying to save up for the deposits. Exactly. B, we weren't working with enough other investors who we could help to get a great return on their money. Hmm. And C, I wasn't maximising the opportunities around me which were HMOs at that hmm. time. And hmm. I think still are, uh, although the, the market has slightly changed. Hmm. So Andy and I sat down and I said to him, I really think we should start investing in HMOs. Hmm. And he, because he comes from an IT background, he said, well, let's do a beta test. Right. Because in IT, before you launch a new product or a new service, you test it by doing a beta. Mm. In fact, you might even have an alpha, but we didn't have an alpha, we went straight onto the beta. And this was our little test four bed HMO. Mm. And that's really how I started to become much more active. I created a much higher cash flow. And I became actually a much more interested investor. I, I, I educated myself. And of course, as the story goes, you know, I ended up at Progressive. Mm. Uh, I'd done other training courses as well. There are some other great companies out there, but I ended up at Progressive because I love the vision and the values, the community, mm. everything that Progressive offered I thought was incredible. Mm. And I have flourished in this environment ever since. Okay, so how long ago was the beta test? That was August 2012, so about five years ago. Okay. Now, it's interesting because, of course, to an extent, you'd already done your own beta test because the very first property you bought was a student yes. multi-let. <laughs> so you kind of knew, but obviously Andy needed to know as well. Yes. Yeah. And the market was very different. We're talking 15 years later. Yeah. So things had changed. The, the original College of Higher Education where those students were studying in my very first property had closed down. Yeah. So there weren't students in our local town anymore. So we had to do it somewhere else. Okay. So the, the beta test was a four bed HMO. Yes. And it must have gone well because yes. you're sat in front of me. Absolutely. It went very well. And we didn't really even know what we were doing. Mm. But we did the basics. We did a basic refurb. And mm. I have one tenant who to this day is still living there. In right. fact, I was on the phone to him on Saturday morning because he's interested in investing in property, which is amazing, isn't it? That is quite amazing. That takes a little bit of a double take there. So your HMO tenant wants to invest in property, Absolutely. which begs a lot of questions like, why is this particular person living in your HMO? I know, I yeah. know. <laughs> There's yeah. lots of questions that I thought, this is really ironic. But yeah. if I can help him on his journey, I would, I'll very happily help him. Yeah. I mean, it's an interest, it is actually an interesting question, again, going on for a little bit of a tangent, but we could explore this maybe with your expertise, because I am sometimes asked, why would anybody want to rent a room when for a similar amount of money they could actually go and rent a flat, for example? Mm. But it seems to be that there is a constant demand for HMO rooms. What, mm. Why is that, do you think, Wendy? I think that people love the ability to share with other people. I think mm. there is a sense of, of isolation when you're in a flat on your own. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, they do like sharing. Often landlords will include all the rent yeah. uh, and all the bills in that yes. one price, which we do. It's all inclusive. Yes. Again, I think for many people that makes budgeting much, much easier. They know where they stand every month. They don't have to find extra money for gas or water or electricity. It's all inclusive. I think they know that somebody else is going to fix the problems. If you have a, a flat, you probably are responsible for some more of the maintenance. Whereas in a room in a house, generally it's going to be the landlord or the, or the, the, the agent who will have to come out and fix the problems. 
Uh, I also think that for convenience, a lot of people like the fact that renting a room does not commit them to a long-term tenancy or to problems at the end of the tenancy when it comes to changing over the, the bills or the direct debits. It's much, much easier. Mm. So I think that there is, there's a lot more movement in the rental market than perhaps those of us who live in our own property realise. Mm. And I think that's what's fueled the, the growth of HMOs. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because quite often when I'm asked the question, I suspect that the reason is that the person who's asking it is really saying, Peter, I wouldn't want to live in a HMO, so why would anybody else? But actually, when we make assumptions like that, then we'll cut ourselves out of all sorts of opportunities. Correct. Because we're all so different. We all have different needs and aspirations. Mm. So the beta test went well, <laughs> and you started rolling out big time then, did you? We did. We went straight ahead into a six-bed HMO. And during the, the build process, we were, we were probably maybe a month off finishing the build process when my, my builder phoned me one day and he said, Wendy, Wendy, you've got to come over to the house. I, I've got to show you something in the loft. And I thought, oh, no. If it's dead, I don't want to see it. <laughs> so he said, no, no, it's not. There's nothing that's dead. So I thought, well, I wonder what it could be. So I, I raced over, got in the car and, and went over to the property. And there he was up the ladder in this big old dusty loft. And I climbed up the ladder and, and I said, right, you know, what, what do you want to show me? And he said, just look at the space. Um. And it was a big room, a bit similar to this room, probably a little bit bigger. Um. And he said, you can make another room up here. Uh-huh. And I had not thought about this. And this is where working with a creative builder is superbly helpful because quite often you can't visualise how a building could develop or be. And many times we've worked with builders who've given us fantastic ideas for maximising space. So that's another tip, is to find a builder who's interested in creating a product that is good for them and also good for you. Mm. So. We looked at this space and he said, I could put a Velux window here and we can do this and we'll put the insulation in and he knew how to do it. And he gave us a price and we just thought, we've got to do this. Mm. But of course, moving from a six bed to a seven bed HMO Mm. on three stories meant we got into planning, licensing, building regs, the whole lot. Mm. And I was literally thrown in the deep end of all of that. Steep learning curve. Very steep learning curve. Mm. And... I had to learn it all. I literally sat up at night reading the different parts to the building regulations. Mm. So I can quote part E, I can quote part D, I, I know what what they are, you know, what it what's involved in all the building regs. Mm. I, I studied the licensing and licensing laws. I learned about professional large HMOs. I studied the law. Mm. I learned about it. Because I wanted to be on the right side of the law and I wanted to make sure that our HMO was going to be the best in the area. Mm. So the only way I could do that was by doing it right. Mm. There we go. A good example of the principles are simple, but it's not always easy. It takes a bit of hard work. Yes. But that's why we earn our money. Absolutely. Yeah. You were prepared to put the graft in and do that, and that's why you ended up with a seven-bed HMO, Mm. presumably. Mm. Absolutely. And it's been absolutely tremendous. It's 
we, we are across the board our occupancy rates are about 94 percent the industry average is 85 percent mm. so we're doing well more you know better than the, the than the uh, average which is tremendous mm. you have a little bit of a vacancy you know two weeks here one week there but even in a seven bed HMO one of the benefits of that particular building is that it's large and spacious so the rooms are all fairly well spread out they're quite evenly spread on each floor mm. there's access to very very good communal area bathroom Rooms. A couple of the rooms have got en suites, so there's good facilities for the the tenants living there. And because it's an old Victorian property, it's solid, and we we've done acoustic insulation in the property as well. So mm. we we expect it to a really high standard. Mm. And you know when you go into the property, you would never know that there were seven rooms because it feels big and spacious, but it doesn't feel all crowded and on top of one another. Right. So was that the spur then to start building your portfolio a little more aggressively? Well, actually, after that one, we ran out of money. And I had to go to my parents to borrow some money to help us finish off the build. Mm. And we just did not know what we were going to do then. We had the old mindset still ticking over. Wait, save up, put down a new deposit. And I really hadn't quite learned at that stage how to raise finance from other investors. I was mm. still learning how to do that. I'd heard about it, but I didn't quite know how it worked. And if I can't understand the mechanics of something, I find it quite hard to put myself in the shoes of believing I can do it, of visualising it. I, I like to know the mechanics of how something happens. So I, I borrowed this money from my mum and dad, and they seemed to be very happy with the return I was giving them. So I thought, well, that's a positive sign. Maybe there are other people out there who would also feel the same. So I started to network more, and I, I met lots of other investors, and I met people who were interested in HMOs. And I went to a weekend event, a weekend training event, not at Progressive. And while I was there, I was telling somebody about my story and saying I've got a couple of HMOs, but I've run out of money. And he said, well, I've got some money, and I don't know how to do HMOs, and I would love to work with somebody like yourself. So we started talking and after the event we got together a few times, we had coffee and we started to plot out the heads of terms of a joint venture partnership deal. And he became my business partner, Mark, oh. and we formed Best Nest together. Oh. Because at that stage Andy was still working full time so he couldn't be involved in the business. So it was Mark and myself who formed Best Nest, and right. that's how we got going. Right, and then Mark is still your business partner? Mark is still my business partner. He's doing other things now down in uh, where he lives, in Worcester, mm. and we're, we, we communicate regularly because we still run the business together. He does more of the financial side, the, the back-end stuff, and then we are up where we are, which is between Crewe and Stoke-on-Trent, mm. where we invest. Mm. We have a team now who runs the portfolio for us. Right. So I'm, and I'm, I'm more strategic now rather than hands-on. So, yeah, so we, we developed a handful of HMOs together and a single let, because we saw it and thought, yeah, that's a good purchase, let's get it. Mm. But after we had a portfolio, Mark decided he wanted to do some more developments, and he's got other business partners and other interests, so he's, he's gone in a slightly different direction. But we still wanted to focus on HMOs, me and Andy. Mm. So after Andy left his full-time job, we then started to really scale up and grow the business. Right, and Andy was able to leave his job because of your endeavours in property? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So now you're working more with Andy. Yes, that's correct. So right. now Andy, about two and a half years ago, we became financially free. Mm. So our income from property overtook our, our monthly costs as a family. 
plus a little bit more, always good to have a bit more on the safe side. And we decided that we would continue to grow the portfolio. He could leave his job in IT, which uh, he found quite stressful and difficult, and join me in the business. So we work together now in the business, and generally it works quite well. Well, I was going to say, how does that work? Because you hear about you know husbands and wives, <laughs> yes. should they really do it? I have to say, I actually work with my wife, and it works really well. Mm. But she's very patient and kind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I think that Andy and I have got complementary approaches. We definitely do not always agree. Mm. Uh, quite often we vehemently disagree with each other. But... He, uh, he, he's, he's got a very different skill set from mine. And I think as time has gone on, we've very much appreciated each other's skill sets rather than trying to argue with each other and say, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm. Actually, I think we've realised that he might be right and I might be right, mm. but we're just strong in different areas mm. of the business. Mm. So we've learned which areas of the business we're particularly good at and to strengthen and grow those areas and not have a... A sort of head-to-head -head, which obviously causes friction and, and, and damage long term. Yeah. So what are you doing at the moment then? What are you buying? So we're doing a commercial conversion at the moment which we're just literally about to finish off. Um, we've done a great JV uh, over the last year we've had a JV partner who we've been working with closely and uh, nothing we haven't revealed uh, the identity of this person yet but we're going to do some social media stuff soon. Mm. Uh, to talk about that partnership because it's been very fruitful for both mm. parties mm. and we are now looking really to do more commercial conversions mm. so we're starting to do a bit more service to accommodation right that's, that's in the beta phase peter okay, right. <laughs> we're betering <laughs> service to accommodation and i think we're now interested in doing slightly larger conversions uh, so we want to start to do sort of 12 to 15 bed units probably more in the style of a micro unit um, to complement the HMO portfolio that we have. So have you stopped doing HMOs altogether? Yes, I think at the, for the time being we are. We're pausing on HMOs. Okay. There are a lot of HMOs in our area and what we don't want to do is to add to the supply if we're not confident there's demand for the rooms. Mm. And we have seen some tremors, I would say, in the marketplace where there has been pot potential oversupply uh, in our area. Mm. So we're just playing it carefully. Okay, that's interesting. So for anybody who's listening, who's thinking, well, I want to get into property and I was thinking of getting into HMOs, would you say that that bubble has burst then and it's time to no, move I, on? No, I wouldn't. I think it's about quality, though. I think mm. you have to be very, very careful about where you're pitching your quality and you need to know the market. Mm. Four or five years ago, you could produce an HMO and as long as it was reasonable quality, people would rent it. Mm. Nowadays, there's so much choice for people you have to really differentiate your product. Mm. And if you're not prepared to do that, if you're not prepared to understand your market and differentiate your product to meet that market, you could potentially have a problem. Mm. So my key message now to anybody getting involved in HMOs is what is your unique selling point? Sell yourself, sell your product, sell your services, but be a bit different. Do something that's a bit unusual, a bit creative. It doesn't necessarily mean spending a lot of extra money either. You can, you can offer services to tenants. I know an agency in Liverpool, for example, that do social events for tenants, and tenants often choose to rent their rooms because of the additional services they offer, not just because of the quality of the property. So I do think there is definitely more competition, but like any market, eventually what happens is the, the people who, who don't offer that quality product will be weeded out, mm. and there is still an awful lot of dross in the HMO mm. market. 
Yeah. Now, I've never actually physically been in one of your properties, but I've seen the photos on Facebook, and you do your properties to an incredibly high standard, I would suspect, much higher than most people. Yes, I think that's true. And that's been a deliberate sort of strategic view you've taken, that you would produce that quality. Absolutely. I, I think we're trying to send the message that we actually care about the tenants. Mm. Yes, we care about the property and we care about producing a product, a room, which is attractive and spacious and has got good storage. Mm. But we also want to produce something which is, um, which demonstrates our commitment to them. Mm. For us, having a tenant is a long-term relationship. Ideally, I want to create a long-term relationship with my tenants. I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to, to go somewhere else. And 40% of our tenants stay with us for more than three years. That's excellent. So we have, we have a lot, absolutely, we have a lot of tenants who stay for a long time. But you can't, tenants won't stay if you don't treat them well, mm. if you don't deal with maintenance. Mm. It, it's, it's not often just how you treat the property that sends a message, but it's how you treat the person. Mm. So for us, yes, we do really good quality rooms because we like to be able to get people through the door. We mm. like them to see what we have on offer. Mm. It's our shop window, if you like. Mm. But once they've come through the door, then we can say, right now, you know, are you the right tenant for us? Are we the right um, agency, landlord for you? And what, what is a typical tenant? What, what demographic are you? After. We tend to have, I would say our average age of tenant is probably late 20s, maybe early 30s. Professional, quite often we have managerial level tenants, uh, so people in you know, professional roles. We, they, they're probably earning between 23 and 40,000 pounds per annum. Quite often they're earning even more than that. We have quite a lot of contractors. Some of them go home at the weekends, so their HMO room is not their primary residence. This is just somewhere to live during the week while they're working, and then they have somewhere else to live. And they are a mixture of uh, married or single. I would say most of them are single, and 80% are male. Mm. We have quite, few, uh, you know, quite an, an imbalance. We're many more male than female tenants. Mm. So that makes sense, a high-end product for a high-end tenant. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know your market and that's what you deliberately targeted. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the reason that we do what we do and the way we do it is because we know that some of those tenants, are they're used to dealing in a professional manner with professionals. Mm. They're used to having quite quick service, response times. You know, if you're going to leave it sort of three days before you respond to the tenant, mm. they, they will get that message that, you know, you're not that professional, you're not particularly bothered, you're not very efficient. Mm. So we are very clear about response times, about what they can expect from us. And equally, we expect high standards from them too. Mm. Well, you clearly know your subject, and I know that you do because you wrote a book, didn't you? <laughs> I did, yes. <laughs> What's it called? 101 Essential Tips for Running a Professional HMO. And it's a very good book, and I've got both the hardback copy, well, the, the paperback copy, and the audio on audio, Audible. Yes, so. you can get it on audio and e-book as well, if you've got a Kindle yep. and a softback as okay. well. Okay, so go to Amazon, go to Audible, you'll yes, find it. That's yep. right, well yeah. worth reading. Thank you. So parking HMOs, you're now doing commercial conversions. Is this a beta test or is this yes, a real thing? this is a beta test. This okay. is a beta test, so we'll see how it works. I think we're keen now to move into micro units, so very similar to HMOs, but a slightly um, more facilities in one unit. Now, this is a growing trend. What would, just before we move on from that, what, what do you mean by that? 
Describe a micro unit. What, what so we in a micro at? unit, you would have an ensuite and you would have a kitchenette, but you don't have any shared facilities within the building. Okay. However, the, the, the space is not large enough to be able to uh, split the title or to be mortgageable. So normally uh, a mortgage company would require it to be 30 square metres to be able to right, do that. Right. Uh, so these aren't going to be as large as that. They'll probably okay. be 25 square metres, maybe even 20 in some cases. Okay. So that's why I call them micro units. Very interesting idea. Now the first question which sort of jumps to, into my mind is what happens about council tax? Yes, and it's going to be an interesting one. I would imagine the council or the VOA will want to ban well, them each. Probably assess yeah. them, but, yeah. but for something like that, presumably, they're very high-end, so the, the cost, you, the figures stack. You yes. obviously don't, as part of your beta test, you've made sure the figures work. Correct. Yeah. And in terms of the, the way that we're going politically in this country, I know, for example, that there are the politicians are looking at HMOs, for example, you were saying that the, the, the poorer quality ones would get driven out of the market anyway by market forces, but there is a view that there's going to be more, more legislation, more regulation, which is going to come in. Presumably the micro unit will pass all of that I, in, in well, terms of size. Who knows, Peter? I mean, you know, you, you, as you know, regulation and... Um, uh, surprise surprise legislation can be sprung on us at any time. Hence, mm, think mm. about George Osborne's Section 24 mm, tax. You know, mm. nobody was expecting that. Mm. That wasn't in the manifesto. It just sprung into action, yep, yep. throwing many, many people into disarray. And mm. I think that many people don't realise that there's an avalanche coming mm, in January mm. when suddenly everyone does their tax returns mm. and realises they're spending much more on tax than mm. they... And they're going to say, oh, you made a mistake on my tax return to their accountant. But no, there's no mistake. That is the reality. So I think the market is always shifting sure. and I think sometimes there are unintended consequences from legislation. Mm. So in terms of future going forward, I mean there are there are pieces of legislation that have been consulted on but haven't been passed, they haven't gone into a white paper status yet. So for example minimum room sizes, we haven't yet seen any formalisation of that, mm. although under housing regulations, uh, housing standards, there are some minimum room sizes but not all councils have adopted those. So there are, you, I think it's very important to stay ahead of the trends and to try and see where the wind is blowing, mm. but it's really impossible to do it. Mm. But I think for us as investors, it's also about having a portfolio. Mm. I mean, as well as our HMOs and our single lets, we also have a pub. Oh, yeah? no, that no, I didn't know. No, okay, so yes. you have to come over for a drink sometime, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> It's a bit spit and sawdust. Right. You have to wipe your feet as you walk out of it, not uh, as you assume, go in. Assume you're not behind the bar, though. <laughs> <laughs> I am a landlady to a landlord. Right. <laughs> so, Excellent. yeah, it's actually a working yeah. pub, yeah, and yeah. Um, a landlord rents it from us, and we get yeah. very, very good return. Wow. So, for me, it's not just about the type of property you invest mm. in, mm. it's is your money working for you? Mm. And you can put your money into lots of different types of assets mm. and make your money work for you. And that's what we're interested in is mm. not just while I have a, a good portfolio of HMOs that work really well, mm. I'm really keen to look at other types of asset classes or, or property to maximise those returns and to stay ahead of the, the, the curve as well. Yeah, well, coming back to the mi micro units, I mean, obviously that's a trend you spotted. Mm. And so you're developing that and that sounds really, really interesting. So they're, they're not of a size where you can title split, you can't get a separate mortgage, so presumably you'll be renting them out. 
Yes, and I think that um, for some of them we'll probably be doing serviced accommodation as well. Right. So we may, um, we, we're looking at that at the moment. Again, the beta test mm. will give us some of these answers. Okay. <laughs> I uh, will come back to you. And if it works, you'll roll it out and you'll do more? Yes, definitely. And we'll be looking for investors to work with us on those ones. Okay. And that is all the medium that you're using for that is commercial conversion? Correct. Yeah. And how's that going? Because that's quite a leap up again from HMOs, isn't it? And that's why we have done this beta test. It's just a small unit with four mm. so that we can learn about commercial conversions. Although in many ways, if you work with a good builder and you know legislation and you're not scared of talking about building regs and learning about commercial conversions, yes, there are some extra things you have to learn. But it, it isn't too difficult. N mm. None of this is difficult, mm. Peter. It's mm. about mindset. If you believe mm. you can or you mm. believe you can't, mm. you're right, as Henry Ford once said. Absolutely. So what was the use of the property before you started converting it? It was a church. There we go, you see. So again, slightly edgy, slightly <laughs> yes. unusual, because most of us are going by and large for offices. That's right. Well, yeah. this one just worked. The yeah. figures were perfect. The numbers were great. Um, so we now look very much for properties where we can get all our money out of the deal. That's, yeah. that's got to be, because so much in the past we left money in projects, yeah. and now in order to grow, we've got to get very, very good deals. We've got to get sharper on the figures yeah. so that we get our money out of the deal. We don't want to leave money in the deal, otherwise you, you can't create the momentum to keep investing. Okay. Now, I know that you do trainings. You're a trainer with Progressive here. That's right, yes. Yes, but you also do trainings outside of Progressive? I do, yes. What, what do you train on? HMOs, generally. I have a mentorship programme as well. So okay. my mentoring focuses on creating a high cash flowing passive income through HMOs to, to help people become financially free. Mm. Um, but we cover all sorts of topics. Uh, there's, it's very, very broad. We, we look at buying properties from auction, for example. Mm. Uh, we look at using your pension to be able to invest. Some of these areas of finance and money that sometimes people haven't come across before they start training and, and, and being mentored. Mm. Um, and we talk a lot about how to raise money from other investors, mm. how to raise JV finance, how to structure a deal, mm. how to get a mortgage, mm. you know, some of those kind of topics. Okay, so anybody who's interested in that, I'm sure a lot of people will be, how do they get in touch with you? How do they attend the trainings? So I've got a website. If you go on to www.wendywl.uk, that's wendywl.uk, you can... Not co.uk. Not co.uk, just, just .uk. Or if you search for me on Facebook, Wendy Whitaker-Large, there are not many other Whitaker-Larges Is that a hyphenated Whitaker-Large? It's hyphenated. Okay, just to be absolutely clear. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, or the HMO Queen, as somebody once titled me, and oh, the really? title has stuck. Right. So you can search me, the HMO Queen, yeah. and you'll come across me. And uh, I do um, I do short, free mentoring sessions. So if you want a quick 20-minute call, to, to if you've got an issue or a problem and I can help you with it, please contact me through my website and book in the call. Uh, there's a contact me page on there. If you're an investor and you're looking to get great returns, let's have a chat. If you are somebody looking to learn how to do HMOs and how to make money from property, let's have a chat. Okay, now we're almost at the end of our time, but I've got to ask you this question. You didn't know I was going to ask it, but your big why, you have a big why, don't you? We often talk about what is it that drives us? What yes. is it that we want to do? 
you, there is something very particular you want to achieve in life, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> is it okay if we talk about that? Do you want That's to share fine. that? We don't have to. So my two eldest boys have got cystic fibrosis. Mm. And one of the reasons why I started to invest in property, as you know, is because I wanted to create a legacy mm. for them because CF is a life-threatening, life-limiting disease. Mm. And all of us do not know how long we have to live. Mm. But if you have CF, then that limits your life potentially even further and your quality mm. of life. So my desire is to contribute to the discovery of a cure for cystic fibrosis. Mm. How far, how much I can do, I don't know. Mm. And I have a plan in my head as to how that will happen. Mm. But I know that my journey through property, making money through property, contributing and giving back to the cystic fibrosis community is a very, very key part of that. And I would love to feel that by the time I shuffle off this mortal coil that I've done something very valuable for many, many, many other people who suffer with this condition. Mm. Well, I think that's amazing and I wish you well with that. Thank you. Yeah. So Wendy, it's been fantastic having you here today. Thank you for that. Some really valuable tips there for anybody who's thinking about property, anybody who's thinking about HMOs, anybody who's looking for trends and wants to get onto the next thing. So thank you for that. That's been brilliant. So. Wendy has been fantastic. Wendy Whitaker Large. Do look her up on the internet. Go to wendywl.uk and you'll find her there. And I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you have any ideas for any subjects which you'd like covered on the podcast, get in touch with me through the Progressive Community, through the Facebook group, or message me directly. And uh, if it's a good topic, if it looks like it's something which could help everybody, we may do it as a podcast. In the meantime, here's to successful property investing. 